Hello and welcome to our podcast Taking Chances with me Sohela Joshi and my co-host Anupama Bhalla. Our guest today is Varun Dugirala, a leading conversationalist in business, personal development and the creator landscape. He founded The Glitch in 2009 and has helped grow it to be one of the leading creative agencies in the country. He is the one who got Anu and me interested in podcasts. He hosts not one, not two, but three podcasts, Advertising is Dead, Think Fast and Take a Pause. His book Everything is Out of the Syllabus is a must read. In this episode, he talks about his entrepreneurial journey, his love for content and tells us unequivocally he is not an influencer. So welcome Varun on our podcast. It's like a no pressure introduction is what I call it. It's like now I better words like inspiration get thrown around you're like oh my god no I got like I better make this a good one I'm sure it is because that's true yeah true. in this in the podcasting world creative world I mean who doesn't know you yeah so I mean it's good for us to have you know somebody like you to look up to so I have read your book you know everything is out of the syllabus it's fantastic and you know I've been reading it like not from start to finish yeah. i kind of pick up you know some chapters and i've reread some chapters and i just love these little squiggly drawings and stuff like that so it's amazing and i think what anupama chopra has said you know about you being a renaissance man and you know you have so many passions and stuff like that it's a great book and even i've got a copy you know for my daughter because i think you've put it out so well so how did you come up with this name and that's really the first question for you and what was the reason behind you writing So um uh, the name is I I I feel you work in advertising for too long you think of what is the most attention grabbing title right and so the the original title when i'd sent in the book proposal to the folks at penguin so basically someone at penguin reached out because a friend of mine was writing a book for penguin and they asked him suggest who do you know who wants to write a book and like i know this guy who's been talking about writing a book for a long time and never written it which was me because i've been talking about writing a book for a very long time And so my proposal basically said that everything in life is is out of syllabus like you know works out of syllabus life is out of syllabus relationships are out of syllabus love is out of syllabus friendships are out of syllabus everything is in that sense and and the book was actually going to be called something like you know a handbook for life or something like that. I said it had a TBA title and I thankfully had someone at penguin say that's the title it's in your notes and it was initially a very different cover because we actually had all those pieces on it we had love and relationship everything else and eventually we came down to a simpler one but it was one of those moments where you say okay what do i write about and it came down to a singular thing what would i have wanted to tell my 20 year old self and that's what this book was about saying so when i was 20 i was in this very one of my weirdest phases in life because i wasn't really sure where i was headed i'd failed at too many things had almost come to like my parents were at their wits end saying what is this guy going to do in life and all of that stuff had happened i kind of wanted to turn back and say okay when i wrote it i was almost 40 now i'm 40 and say what could i tell that 20 year old and that's where it came from and then i kind of started picking up incidents from my own life picking up things that have given me insights over the years and kind of put it all together and that became this book i love the way the title came about and it's yeah. a good title as well so uh, you know varun you've been in the corporate world an entrepreneur successful had your failures you're a podcaster you're an influencer there's so much that you've already done so what is that one out of the syllabus or out of the boxings that you've done or have been doing that has really paid off for you 
so i'm not a goals oriented person i feel most people talk about you know follow your goal and go after that i always follow my curiosity that's my thing i'm like whatever i'm curious about i follow that that's always what i've done i have made the weirdest of choices just out of pure curiosity right i mean i switched jobs between mtv and channel v for a 1000 rupee raise because i was intrigued to do some stuff at channel v which mtv wasn't letting me do you know i have literally finished being an entrepreneur have i could have literally just stayed in my last stint and kind of grown and you know be, taken on like a global role doing all those things but i'm curious about being a content creator being a podcaster like let me can't go and do that so it's always been that with me i don't look long term i don't look at things I'm like what am i really intrigued by what can i go after so there there'd be a laundry list of things that i have followed randomly kind of follow that curiosity but i think if i have to pick one it was literally when we started glitch i feel that was in hindsight and and i write word in the book as well is that we had zero prep for anything right we spent 6 months thinking of the name one month to figure out what you we were doing one year after recession people were like a who's going to give you work people don't have jobs and we both still quit and we said let's figure it out and even then it was like what can we do what are we we had this breakup of saying these are things we will do because we think they'll be fun to do and these are things we will do because they will pay the bills so we always had a demarcation we've literally done projects for free in the early days because that's fun to do let's just do it and so that i would pick that one because that was almost like a i mean it was a life choice right we, we were doing well in our professions and we chose to say you know let's go do this and with zero planning on a hunch and a, and a bit of gut and that paid off in the long term so again just taking off from you know what's out of the box and what's traditional you know at least soila and i we kind of and i'm sure so did you to a certain extent grew up in the time where you were asked to follow a certain traditional route right school mm. college graduation to karna hi hai kind of thing Correct. and you know dare you suggest doing something out of the box and you know there'd be like 100 people telling you not to do it and then even after graduation it was like banking engineer doctor there were these things that did get thrown on us you know as indian kids so today what we see kids doing is really out of the box stuff you have youngsters making you know careers out of just music content creation doodling all of that but just asking you is that really the right path one should follow completely like ignore what was traditional or is that like the safe box you can walk back into if something else doesn't work so would you advise people to go through few of those traditional steps not necessarily collect degrees but at least get some place before going out of the box or do you feel hey do what you need to do actually i feel everyone needs to unlearn stuff that is deemed traditional or like what has happened so far because as much as you might add layers okay i'm going to add technology onto it or i don't need to go through a traditional route and all that stuff all of the stuff you might go towards is still built on what is age old tradition and foundations right so i mean learning that foundational stuff really going through that process i mean you mentioned content creation i speak to so many youtubers and i tell them that when i see how youtube functions today it is literally how i mean what i saw happening at mtv and channel v when i was there you know 2006 2005 because that is literally how they functioned so using the same formats it's the same shows it's the same kind of content just the technology has changed how we make it has changed but the essence and the fundamentals of it are the same so more than tradition i, I often think that we we disregard fundamentals and those never go away in whichever direction you want your life and your career to go and also actually learning from them helps you evolve them better i mean if you disregard them then you can't learn 
I would say some of the smartest ways to do things which are often the simplest and the most old school ways of doing things. It's like when I talk to an editor today, I'm like, I'm talking to them about saying that, okay, I know you're learning how to edit by looking at videos of YouTube, but you know, if you look at like some of the older stuff, you'll actually realize that you, you learn so many more techniques from that. So yeah, so you can't ignore the past. You can't ignore tradition. You have to learn from it. And like you said, you don't need a certification for it. You can, you know, just happen to them as resources to learn from and it's like they say when you read a book, read an older book and not necessarily only the newest book here because sometimes the older ones actually have a lot more insight than some of the newer ones will. Right. So, um, I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, uh, you talking about uh, you wanting to be an engineer or at least you got into that course of becoming an engineer. Mm. So what was the moment yeah. when you realized that, you know, this is not for me? What the hell did you tell your parents? I mean, that would be um, really interesting to know. It's called entering engineering college on day one. You realize you don't want to be an engineer anymore. So I have this weird scenario where, uh, and, I, and I know that a lot of people went through that. There's a standing joke between all engineers in the media industry, that the media industry is filled with engineers who engineering drove in the opposite direction. So I, I used to love to code. I mean, till my 12th standard, I never got below 99 out of 100 in coding in any computer module. But I was not great at math and not great at physics and chemistry. And so somehow like ended up like management quota student didn't get in through merit into engineering. And I was doing mechanical engineering. So I feel that after the first couple of, I think the first semester, I was pretty sure this is not what I wanted to do, but I'd committed to finishing it. And I did finish it eventually. I took six years to finish my four-year degree, but thankfully didn't have to attend classes post the four years. I never really told my parents I didn't want to do it. I just told them I'm not applying for a job in engineering after I'm done. And uh, so post-engineering, I worked in a call center. I worked as a promoter for a couple of liquor companies. Eventually landed up in media school. So it was less about, oh, I'm not doing my engineering. It's more like, I just don't want to pursue it post this because I know it's not what I want to do. But you got me in here. I will commit to finishing it off. And I eventually did. Mm -hmm. I say eventually because I'm a very well-read engineer. I did six years <laughs> for a four-year degree. That's what eventually happened. But when my parents had questions, right? They're like, okay, this is what you wanted to do. And the reason why I took a four-year degree was because an easier route to kind of, let's say, you want to go to the US and study, you want to go somewhere else and study. Always makes it simpler to do. Yeah. But in hindsight, I mean, I, I feel like today I have a lot more interest in science than I did then. Right. I spent so much time talking to like, let's say someone who's a neuroscientist or someone who's like into biomechanics and, or someone who's in deep tech and AI. And I talk to them about stuff and I really enjoy that part on the podcast chair, then I enjoyed it sitting in class and hearing a professor talk to me about it. I feel it was also that. So I, I think my parents got it. I feel their worry was more like, what are you going to do? And I didn't have an answer. I think that worried them more than me saying, I don't want to pursue engineering. Hmm. Also, I worked in a factory for like four months for my project. And I was like, I am not working in a factory. That's <laughs> yeah. not happening. Right. So, you know, most of us, you know, have plans. And, you know, we kind of think about our future. So what happens when you carefully laid plans, especially when you're young, you see them kind of like not realizing or falling apart. What do you feel then? And how do you kind of restore your own mental sanity and get into things that possibly you think, you know, you want to do? How do you kind of, you know, work around that? It's tough when you're really young. I remember that one of the reasons towards the late part of my engineering when I was very focused on getting to a university in the US is because I was dating someone and we both wanted to move to the same university. And I went through this period where I, I flunked exams so I couldn't necessarily go to any university. What also ended up happening was it was this stumbling block of, okay, you haven't gotten in, you've also broken up, you're telling your parents you do want to go for a job in engineering, you're trying to figure a call center job or something like that you can do to just survive. 
So it's like I've blocked on, blocked on, blocked on, and and you kind of put yourself in that bubble in a hole. And I was in that hole for a, for a while. I would say for a good part of a year or if, if not longer. And I feel the only way to get out of it is that someone needs to give you a way out. For me, thankfully, that was my mother. My 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 mom couriered me the application form for the media school in Symbiosis, saying you always wanted to work in the media space. Maybe you want to go do that. So it was almost like she kind of sh- and, and I didn't take that seriously either. I just literally quit my job, went back home, lied on the couch, and didn't necessarily spend too much time studying. But somehow through multiple pieces that kind of happened, ended up getting into the university. But she showed me that small way out. And sometimes it's your it's a family. Sometimes it's a friend. I feel and and the more I speak to people online and, and I spend a decent amount of time every day. I spend about an hour or just talking to people who send me a DM on Instagram and someone and send me an email, etc. And I realized that most people just want to be heard. They're not asking you for a solution. They just want to feel like someone is listening to what they're going through. And oftentimes I'll just reply and say, okay, I'm not a therapist. I'm not the right person to answer this question, but I, I get where you're coming from. And, and I sometimes direct them to like a, a mental health resource or something like that. Right. And oftentimes they're just excited that someone has just heard that message out. And I feel that as you get older, I feel you get better with dealing with, with failing and, and things not going your way. It's never easy, but I feel especially people in like, when you're between 18, let's say 24, 25, it hits you a lot more. Hmm. Like I've had many failures post 25, like, you know, at work, at glitch, where you've had points, and okay, you know, things aren't going well. And we've, we've had those moments, are we even going to survive as a business and all that stuff, but never felt as hard as that period felt at 18 and 20. And I feel because you're still just getting into the world, you know, you, it's the first time you get smacked in the face by life <laughs> is how I like to call it. That's the tough time. That, that, that would be the toughest period. But after that, you figure it out. Right. I agree. Yeah. And when you're young, you actually have so much time, you know, on your hand to make those mistakes and learn from it. But I, yeah. I understand completely. It's like end of the world at 20 when yeah. somehow you just feel your goals are not, you know, coming through yeah. stuff like that yeah but you know something you said varun just reminded me of what happened with me when i joined media so you said your mom actually sent you the form mm. you know but when i said i wanted to get into media it was like kya hota hai? are you a writer are you a journalist yeah. it was almost like nothing else happens in media except writing so it yeah. took quite a while in the mid 90s to convince people that media was a lot more than just walking around in khadi and writing <laughs> articles but yeah there you go it's not seen as like one of the most lucrative and people didn't know too much about it actually that there was a lot more happening and tv was about to come in and you know it wasn't just writing words on a piece of paper so also they didn't understand even the like you said the jobs right like when i said i'm a i was a producer in television they thought i was putting money into television like where do you have the money to put in i'm like no that's not what a producer <laughs> does but interestingly what happened post me starting to work. And I, and I think that's how things have evolved, right? Is that, so I come from a place called Kakinada, coast of Andhra Pradesh. And I've been one of the first few people who's worked in the media space from there. Anybody's kid who wanted to work in this space would speak to, find a way to contact my mom or dad, find a way to get in touch with me. And like, I've had people come send their kids to glitch to intern because like, at least like we know someone from back home is there. But that's how it's evolved. I, I feel that you have to have like one or two people who kind of do it. And then eventually, now there are like lots of people doing this how stuff. How many across. parents' I, dreams you have shattered of their kids becoming <laughs> engineers? And the parents sent <laughs> the them there. So I'm like, I'm letting that one be. Yeah, yeah. So Varun, I'm just going to go back to Glitch and you spoke about a little earlier. Is it being a bit of a milestone and something very important that happened? And you know, how you started and what made you start Glitch? So... 
it was obviously a phenomenal success and congratulations on that Thank but you. can you pinpoint one or two things that really made it go where it finally did i feel there are a few things that is that we were never rigid about what we were building we knew that this was something that was an opportunity um, the only reason i think the only line we had was that we want to create content for brands on the web was literally what we started with in 2009 which wasn't really a thing i mean people didn't even get what, what were you going to do for brands online thankfully thanks to tv networks and movie studios who gave us our first bunch of uh, amount of work there because they're the only ones who want to experiment we got into it but we always had this system where we were not building a proprietor and business we were not building a founder and business we were building a company that would build leaders within it and that was very early on we would give people ownership so that we could focus on the future and oversee day to day operations and we were, we constantly built people who could become leaders for us like even today like all of us have exited glitch but we have a core set of leaders are still there they're still driving and and running that business and i feel that's been the big differentiator because even if we couldn't spot what could go wrong they would turn around and and say no this is what we need to change i would always say that was the main thing and and that sometimes meant taking hard calls like we shut down many a department uh, many a revenue stream over the 14 15 years so so we you know we, we would go through this piece where every couple of years we'd sit down saying what's working what's not working and so we shut down specific revenue streams we shut down specific departments when we knew that in the future that is not going to survive it's only going to drain from the business so we never stayed away from taking hard calls but we were always very human with our hard calls we would have like when we've done layoffs in the past we always you know turned to people and said we've tried to find them jobs when we couldn't afford to pay people salaries we took our salaries last and we've actually had people come back and i sometimes when i finally quit glitch is when i realized that the small things are what impacted people the most and why we stayed like glue like one of my favorite stories to tell is one of the girls used to work in the office she messaged me and she said when she was an intern and she joined as an intern and she'd moved out of home for the first time from bangalore to bombay it was raining her first bombay monsoon and first time away from home and she moved from bangalore i had gotten her rasam rice and given it to her saying i know you're missing home so this is what you have i don't remember it i have zero recollection of that having happened but she remembered it and she has been one of our champions for the longest time even after she quit as well and there's so many of those stories that came in when i quit I know Rohit got a bunch and and Pooja got a bunch as well, and I feel that's what it was for us. Is that we never looked at it as saying, you know, we didn't understand valuations or funding or any of those things. We were building a business with people, and we took care of those people, and we took care of the business. It's simplistic, but that's what we did, and and that's what worked for us. So I have right. actually a follow up question on this. So this was when you were really young, and that's mm-hmm. why you know you started with an idea and not really sure about where you were going. But now, yeah. when you have to start your business, knowing what you've gone through, yeah. how precise and how more regimented have you become? Have you kind I'm of? I'm worse. <laughs> I I would say I'm worse because I'm actually literally I would call it in phase zero, step zero of my next piece, right? Because I'm I'm building something around content and around my podcast and 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 everything there, and I've realized that because you've seen so many opportunities you've seen so much the tendency is to overthink many steps and to look at too many opportunities i feel when i was younger i didn't look at as many opportunities as i look at now saying this but we can do this we can do this we can do this i had a lot more clarity when i was younger i feel in hindsight but it's still the same i mean i have a core set of people who i literally have i went from a team i think when we, when i quit glitch we were a team of 700 team of 700 to a team of 3 actually 2 now we've slowly going to become 3 
And it's again, the same thing is that one of the guys is a working father and, and he wants to be home for picking up his son and doing all that. And so he has flexibility on the days he comes into work in that sense of the word. You know, there's someone who had some stuff that happened in, in her family. And so she kind of got that time off. So I feel the fundamentals have stayed the same, but I feel this time the idea is not to build at scale. I feel you learn that in the second round is that you think about the fact that maybe you being a large business or building something doesn't mean you need to have like 500 people. This time I'd be very happy to always keep it under 20 and see how you can do it with that. Because I've always valued the relationships of the first 20, 50 people that glitched more than I would say maybe the 400th or 500th person. And so this is maybe me being a little nostalgic for that time. But I feel that's what you learn. You learn that you learn many things which you believe mean what a business requires. You know, someone tells me, oh, I have a thug, you know, I want to be a thousand member team. I'm like, but why? Uh, you don't have to be. I think the core fundamentals are the same. Take care of people, take care of the business. It needs to make sense on both ends. And that's, and they both take care of each other. And if you look at them in, in that measure. True. So, you know, I'm just sticking with startups. Soela and I have tons of conversations pretty frequently about startups and doing all kinds of things. And she already is doing something. I have a little NG of my own and Himachal and, you know, keep thinking of stuff to do and ideas and all of that. So what's your opinion on which way should one go? What do you personally think in the sense that does one play with one's core strengths, right? So, hey, we're good at marketing, we're good at sales. So let's do something which works in that direction. Or do you look for this unique opportunity and you know look at that as a possible means of success because it's not been done before rarely been done what would you off the bat say is uh, the better formula so there are a few things right i have found a few sets of founders because i because i spend a lot of time talking to entrepreneurs and i've realized that there are some people who are genuinely passionate about a specific problem and they are the ones who will do 24 7 really dive deep and hold that with a deep sense of passion right i mean everybody from let's say a rashi who started heads up for tales who very like she saw what she needed for her dog and what she couldn't get in the market and she built it for that. Or someone like Shashanket Whole Truth Foods who turned around and said, one second, I'm working in an, a massive FMCG company, but I know what we put into the food which we package. And he said, I will only tell the truth. And he stuck to that. And I always tell him this, that I'm like props to him for building a company at scale and still sticking to that piece and not giving into that cornstarch and, and all the other stuff that gets added in. But I also feel that there are many people who look at a business as a way to leverage what their experience is. The only thing with that, I would say, is that then it becomes very individual driven rather than building a company around a core set of what you're building towards. And that's the only trap that they should not fall into is that either you're saying, okay, I'm building a business around myself and that's what the focus is. And no, I'm very good at a certain function. So either I find a co-founder does all the other stuff and we build a company together around a purpose or I'm turning around and saying that, no, this is my core skill set. I know I can scale up my core skill set by building it around me. And that's what it's about. I feel it, clarity is the most important point. If you have clarity, okay, this is the problem I'm passionate about, or this is the core focus I'm building towards, then you can do anything. And that's what I've seen with everyone who succeeds. They're very clear about why they're doing what they do and why they're building what they're building and how much time, energy, and, you know, and everything else they're willing to put into it. Because I was talking to Joseph Radik the other day, and he came on the pod. The stories with Joseph Radik, who, you know, all your celebrity imagery from all their weddings is from stories by Joseph. And he said that he values his time in a way that he only wants to do 10 weddings in a year. Doesn't want to do more. So like, I don't want to build at scale. I want to build with depth. I'll do those 10. And because I, he values his time beyond that. So it's also the choices you're kind of making, right? And I, and I feel 
I don't call his business any less successful than any other business because that's what he wanted to build. He succeeded, but he's very clear about how he wants to function, what he wants to do. And I feel the clarity is the one thing that makes any of them really succeed. So passion and clarity. Yeah. So we're passionate about what you do and be clear about what you do. Yeah. Oh, I put I often put clarity above passion because I feel passion is a tricky one, right? Because <laughs> uh, you can be very passionate about something which does not do well. Or maybe you're unclear about it. Because passion can also cloud your judgment That's sometimes, right. you know. That's such a because you don't know when to take a hard call. But if you're clear about a certain set of things, then you, you know, I, I feel that it, it's a lot calmer. It's I think you're putting less pressure on yourself. So, you know, Anu and I mostly have grown up in the corporate world. We've done you know, several sets of, you know, jobs in really big, large organization. And now we are, you know, we are also on the path of, you know, building our own uh, entrepreneurial uh, dream come true in that sense. And you similarly started as an entrepreneur, you built a large company, worked in the corporate world. And again, you've gone back, I think, to building something, yeah. you know, that you have yeah. clarity and you're passionate about. What are the lessons that you've learned from both these worlds? And are there any integration mm. points or you think one is completely different from the other? Any advice to Anu and me I feel, on this? I think the corporate world teaches you structure. What I think a lot of startups and entrepreneurs don't give credit to is just the boring stuff, like having strong financial practices, looking at how legal functions, looking at basic processes, you kind of let those go. And I'll be in full honesty, I'm letting those go right now in the new one already. But at least I know that I'm letting them go. I feel the first time around didn't even know that was a thing till much later. And when when you go from basic chartered accountants, to, let's say a decent finance person and stuff like that. But I feel that's the learning is that you learn how to take care of stuff which you always felt was unimportant because it wasn't the front end of things. You know, it wasn't the, the bright, shiny object that you were you were operating in. But you learn to really look at process and function in a far better light if you work in a corporate organization. And that's what I've actually learned the most. I mean, I, I remember when we first got acquired as well, we were all like, okay, some of the processes felt very rigid and okay, we can't move around it. But I feel we learned so much from that experience that we now have the perfect blend of understanding the great positives and negatives also of the entrepreneur side, but also the same thing, the massive positives and also understanding the pitfalls and the negatives of becoming too corporatized as well. Because too corporatized also means that you you kind of throttle innovation, you, you throttle creativity in some sense of the word. So you got to, if you've done both, you kind of know the line and you learn more clearly how to walk on it. And I think that's been the big learning is that you've got to function in both at scale and a nimble environment as well. Right. So tell me, Warren, hand on your heart. Do you like being called an influencer? Do you think it, you know, it's a good hand title? Hand on heart, no. <laughs> Why is that? Because you truly influence us, you know. So why is it that you don't like being called that? So I've always been asked, would you call yourself an influencer? Do you call yourself a creator? I always prefer creator because I like to make things. I feel that maybe it's just because how the word's been just overused and just being spread out a little too much. I feel maybe it's that. I don't think it's anything substantial. My reasoning for why I don't like the word influencer. Also, because I feel we often connotate an influencer with someone who doesn't actually make stuff, who just has influence and you can kind of hop on as a brand and, ah. and find that. But but a creator is still okay, is creating videos, creating a podcast. So I think the creator word has somehow still stuck around because you, you would even like have this huge, I wouldn't say argument, but it was a nice, interesting debate with someone saying artist versus creator. And I was talking about the fact that actually all creators are artists, but all artists are not necessarily creators. And that was a bit of a, this one, because a creators also look at data, look at business, look at all that stuff. Uh, but they are creating art in that sense, in whichever form. But an influencer is just using their influence to scale and to monetize and, and to grow. Actually, 
the word i hate more than influencer is thought leader that would be the top <laughs> of my rung of terms which i have genuine issues with um Why because people act, people add thought leader in their bio in their uh, linkedin bios and twitter oh, bio I'm like you don't call yourself a thought leader someone calls you a thought leader and so someone like uh, you will see a interesting twitter thread about saying i am 19 and i became a thought leader read the thread to know how i'm like how are you a thought leader at 19 please explain that to me and you've actually done something substantial because you meet some supremely smart people at 19 and who've done stuff but uh, it's generally more about i feel people construe influence with being thought leaders but no one's going to construe being a creator with you know connecting it to that so i, I feel that you cross that line to creator you still i would say in a, in a far better light the way i've seen it quite funny you know this reminds me of a trevor noah i don't know you guys look at trevor yeah. noah video yeah, but yeah, yeah. this one where he's talked about great britain so you are calling yourself yeah. great <laughs> so <laughs> you should let others call you great yeah exactly so, yeah <laughs> So Varun, who are the creators who have influenced you? Oh, wow, that's a tough one. So instinctively, a few come to mind. So I will just go with them. A huge follow for a couple of creators for different reasons. There's Ryan Holiday who kind of also changed my life in terms of his content because I got me into stoicism at the right time, 2019, 2020, when we all needed something to follow. I got into that at that point of time, and so. So Ryan Holiday is up there. I actually used his framework for writing books to write my book, and he shared his process, and I actually followed that to write my book. It's something I I send across to anybody who wants to write a book. It's it's one of the best ways to organize the information in your mind in a way to write a book. There is Rich Roll who hosts a podcast called the Rich Roll Podcast. Rich Roll, someone I actually learned. There's some stories that really inspire you. I mean, this is one story which I got inspired by for multiple reasons. Rich was. a college swimmer was almost on route to eventually me representing the US in the Olympics started having a bad relationship with alcohol became an alcoholic had to go to rehab sporting career went away becomes a lawyer but he he basically exchanges alcohol with food and he becomes someone who just generally eats wrong and lives a very unhealthy lifestyle and just around the time when he was turning 40 he walking up a flight of stairs and almost has a heart attack and he then decides to flip things around and he decides to become an ultra marathon runner which is basically much more hardcore than your regular iron mans are and by the age of 43 he did five ultra marathons in 7 days back to back and he has a podcast called the rich roll podcast one of my favorite podcasts to listen to which is generally learn so much about human performance and mindset and everything else and so he's someone i really look at in terms of just process and just like how he show flows but also like his stories something which really inspires me also because he comes from a very core purpose in in terms of why he does what he does and if i had to pick one more and that would actually be malcolm gladwell i i think malcolm gladwell is one of my favorite i don't know if he'll be happy with being called a creator but i put him in that peg because there is something to how he looks at content be it books be it audio books be it podcasts or even just like thought process in general as a creative person which i really resonate with i mean it's i always looking forward to any form of content that includes him so i just i just feel like i learn a lot from him so uh, varun you talked about being the creator mm. and you are creating a lot of content and there are of course a lot of others out there as well doing that i mean content is king everybody you look at is looking at creating content something that soila and i mm. are doing right now is also you know yeah. creating content so what is it about content that resonates with people and sticks with them and they'll watch it so do you have a few tips on what is it that would really work with people and you have even with experience seen it work with people phil two things right is that if the content is something people find relatable and something that they get value from 
And when I say value, value is a broad term, but it's like an actionable insight. Am I getting anything, anything actionable from content to use in my own life? Or am I getting something that I really connect with or relate to? And I think entertaining comes in somewhere over there, right? Is that you enjoy a piece of content if you somehow relate to the emotion in it or something within it. So is it relatable or is, and is it does it have an actionable insight? Are the two things I've actually learned over time that people really resonate with? If it feels too detached from their lives, if it feels like it's not something that in some way can connect to them, then people don't necessarily go to it. I mean, there are multiple tricks of the trade on every single platform, but the essence of it comes down to this is that what am I getting out of this or this content and how is it resonating with me and more and more communities of, of people who you know follow a certain piece of content or follow a series or follow a podcast have become people who really connect with that. The other day, there was a, a study that came out, which I think Google sanctioned, which said that the growth of long form content for Gen Z has been through a set of things. And one of them was the fact that people are enjoying long video essays. Uh, they watch long video essays to really get deeper into topics, fan-based content. So if you're a fan of a certain piece or or a, it could be a sport, could be a piece of content, could be anything else, that content people are really diving into. Again, I connect with this, you know, with this, with this club or with this, if I'm a Marvel fan or a DC fan or a Star Wars fan, then I connect to that or any of that. And the third kind was that people who are looking for certain insights and packaged in a way, in a shorter form was leading them to consume more long form content. So I felt like, okay, it it, it kind of connects because a lot of us have believed that as much as everyone's running after short form content, including me, everybody's making short form content. What sticks with you is stuff that's longer and deeper. And we were almost validated to see that even, even like a Gen Z crowd largely still connects to that. And hopefully Gen Alpha and the ones after that also continue on that. That's interesting to note. There's just so much content out there. And, you know, I think for oh us, it's most important, at least, uh, you know, at our age, uh, is to stay relevant. And that's really one of my biggest fears and one of my most biggest challenges is to continuously stay yeah. relevant at this point of time. And when I watch content that, say, my kids are watching, I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, mm. and maybe the content is not for me. And that mm. I realize. But how do you then stay relevant knowing that there is a certain content that is being consumed and you just don't get it? How, how do you grapple with it? Because you would be right at the center as a content creator. So I don't think you have to do everything. You don't necessarily have to understand every aspect. Because the problem is if you're trying to be everywhere and follow every trend is when you get stuck into this. But I feel some of the basic ones are still like stay, right? Written content is still something that people look for. People look for longer conversations. So I feel some of those pieces will still be relevant always. Sometimes the nuances of, okay, to understand particular cultural trends that let's say a certain generation has takes a little bit more understanding. Like right now I'm trying to, I'm grappling with the fact that my five and a half year old has started to play Roblox on her iPad. And I'm not a gamer and she's trying to play games and I monitor everything. So I, I was checking that out. And so it's me learning how that functions to understand what her mindset is going to be. Because these are kids who are watching people play games from the age of five. And that's their entertainment. And I feel that at max, you learn from them. So my, my thing oftentimes is to turn around to, if I don't understand it, I just say it's a stupid question, but I'm going to ask you, how is this functioning? How does this work? And if I don't get it, then I don't get it. And I just let it be. Where some trends I don't understand. And I would just like, I would say openly say, Maybe it's just not for That's, me. I don't get it. Yeah, because India is a young country. Almost 60% of the population is, you know, young. So somehow your yeah. content has to serve 
that audience if you want to you know reach out to the large uh, yeah. public in general so i mean it's, it's like when the crypto boom happened people said why are you making crypto content because i don't understand it i said <laughs> i haven't i haven't understood it yet i can't make content on it and i still don't understand most of it right but i just said I, it's not my lane i'm, I'm not yeah. getting into it unless i understand it i don't want to start propagating or talking about it and um, I feel that's the problem happens is when you try to jump onto a certain trend and you don't get it it's very obvious to everybody that you don't get yeah, it you don't so you'd rather just not get into it is how I look at it yeah, no that's true i think that's where the whole relatability point that you made actually mm. is important here yeah. because that is going to be very age specific passion specific you know yeah. what you're looking for specific and that would also be different for us and for the current generation and yeah. so on yeah 100% So, world of podcasting, uh, Varun. Anu and mm. I, paper and pen in hand, give us some quick <laughs> tips on podcast. Podcasts, right now, when we look at it, I would say it's the most interesting format in the world because every content creator in the world is trying to figure out how can I have a podcast. They've realized that's a way to build long-term engagement, build community, because people come back for a podcast and community. But what's happened because of that and i think all of us relate to it it's that the podcast today is what non fiction television was right if you look at the us and it's happening here as well sets are coming in people are doing reaction videos in between podcasts so there are all the formats you would have seen in television over years literally all of that is not translating onto form into podcasts and becoming talk shows but at the core essence of it i feel what people are coming in for is saying I want to listen to something that in terms of a long listen is giving me enough things that I enjoy. And uh, the one thing I have learned the most is that people want you to get to the point quickly. So the tendency for someone to stick on, like my introductions used to be like two, three minutes long and stuff like that. And I, I started to make my introductions less than 30 seconds. Short up in terms of just retention time, just went up like a rocket. I often take the best bits from my episode, like the one small, like two minute bit. And I put it at the start of the episode. so people get okay this is what's coming up and then you kind of go ahead a few of those things just like and again this is literally what television had had a cold open in television before before your your host intro would come in of a team which is like the youngest members about 21 and he'll come in and say this is the insight and how youtube works and this is literally what television did uh <laughs> is my general reaction but it's that it's that people want want you to grab their attention in terms of okay this is what i'm getting they want to understand what it is in the first like i would say minute to 2 minutes and post that it's about you just making it engaging for them um, it shouldn't feel like you're just dragging on on the same topic i am not a fan of really, really long podcasts when i say really long i mean there are still and i know me and amit verma have this conversation many times amit verma does 6 hour podcasts 4 hour podcasts i'm like i have no idea how anyone can do a 4 hour podcast 6 hour podcast i've done 3 hours with him when when i went on his show i think an 40 minutes to an hour is a great time duration i think you can retain us an audience really well in a 40 minute to 45 minute period it goes a little over it's fine you still retain uh, there is always the later gang who stay on till the end but i would say if you look at any trends like 40 to 45 minutes is a sweet spot especially in india and um, in india the biggest growth in podcasts actually going to be languages if you see the growth it's telugu hindi tamil all of them are going on one end the other end is specialized you very specialized you picked a niche you got in deep into that that's what people are picking as well uh, yes. which is why you literally like one of the most popular telugu podcasts is a tech podcast in telugu i think is like it's it's fabulous he's picked a niche he's picked a language he's gone deep into that and and it's doing really well and i think it's called tech talks if i remember right i'm saying this because i'm starting a telugu podcast hence why i'm like oh okay i'm doing a telugu and a hindi version of uh, of take a pause which is dropping next week 
when we're recording this. Okay. So it's just that insight is that because you realize that a large part of the audience wants to listen to it in their own language, but it doesn't mean you're going to shoot the Hindi or shoot the Telugu in that sense that you are mixing English in there where it's relevant and stuff like that. But um, English podcasts are great if you're focused on an audience that wants to get clear, actionable value in their life. But if you want to have more general entertainment-ish ones, you've got to go Hindi or regional. I feel that the general podcast in English is basically will go the route of what English channels versus the Hindi GC channels went uh, over time. It can also be totally proven wrong because people find English more aspirational still. So it's this weird mixture of you got to get that balance, right? Like I've had guests come in and talk in Hindi naturally and let them talk in Hindi naturally. And I talk to them in Hindi. So we're letting it flow that way. But uh, yeah, data really helps though. I would ask anyone, just look at the data all the time, learn from it. Um, We do that a lot. Any of the changes we made in terms of just like how I do the podcast or how I started off or what you can kind of do to help find growth. So while I've earlier said short format isn't this thing, short format is great for people to discover your podcast. So uh, if you're making those reels, if you're making those YouTube shorts out of it, putting it there, people are discovering your podcast through something that was said on your show. And then they're going to watch the entire episode. While the conversion rate is still not 100%, I would say it's about 10, 20% almost times. That's an entire audience base you're building out by just doing that. So um, these will be a few scattered things I'm throwing in there, but things are going to change a lot in the next year or two to come just from like what's happening, what's at least being uh, spoken of globally. YouTube's getting majorly into podcasts now. There've been a few leaked reports in terms of how they're literally going to build a podcast section within YouTube itself. So they'll push that out a lot more. People will make money on YouTube because the ad insertions will happen. Spotify will hopefully this year yeah, in India launch. Uh, video podcasts have already come. They're going to do ad inserts this year. They're going to launch their... They're going to launch their ad insertions hopefully second half of this year because I'm guessing regulations would have been pending. So yeah, it's an exciting time. I I feel the next two, three years is going to be very interesting for anyone who's doing podcasts because you're going to see things really evolve quickly. Right. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you, Varun, in the sense that while English is aspirational, when I'm sitting at home and watching stuff, I'm more comfortable in the language that I speak at home. So which is my state language, regional language or Hindi. And that yeah. will have a far larger number of followers. And the number of people really listening and watching English content is very little in India still. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it will happen someday. But yeah, regional certainly will, uh, you know, steal the march, at least at present. So, Varun, yeah. now that we've heard about you doing something next, which is mm. your tech podcast. So, what keeps you motivated? There's so much that you're doing. There's so much that you've already done. So, what's that motivation mantra? What do you tell yourself every morning? I try not to do too many things, but I'm generally been, I am what you would categorize technically as an enthu cutlet. I am an enthu cutlet by, at heart. So I find things to do within what I do, which excites me. So I try not to do too much of it. I only record a podcast two to three days a week. As long as I can balance out that with spending enough time with my kids at home to having enough time to just like go after things I'm curious about, spend enough time with, with, with Pooja. I feel that balance is what gets me going. I feel that's what motivates me. The day, I know there'll be a time in, in the week or in the day when I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just feeling a little off balance. I'm like, what have I not done? And and I've worked with a coach a while back and she had actually made me do a purpose exercise. And at least I had five core purposes, not a single purpose. And they range from me sharing what I've learned to spending time with myself to spending quality time with people who are really close to me. Uh, and a few others. So that is almost like the balancing act. So as long as I get enough of each every day, I'm motivated. 
when one falls off the grid or one becomes excessive is when i kind of go off balance and motivation kind of runs through but i feel me having that it's literally on a post it note on my desk so i can look at it in case something's going off i look at okay whatever not done today i'm like oh, i know what happened done interesting so these five core purposes or principles in life is that your life's template is that what you see yourself going and yeah. doing repeatedly ahead in life yeah i just make sure i have these five in my day in my week ideally my week daily is a, is a tough one to do and that just keeps me balanced and i just let everything else happen as is happening and i i'm not someone who's really focused on like hyper growth or like trying to like really move very quickly and and hustle 24/7 i've never been that kind of person i prefer slower marathon approach to life i'm like you know you can kind of slow growth plate in for the long term and i feel that also lets you enjoy what you're doing right oftentimes you're rushing so much you don't even enjoy what you're doing i have always preferred to kind of i've been told i even drive our car like that i am that person who drives very slow looking at the trees oh check out that hoarding i am that person so it irritates the hell out of a lot of my friends um, but i am that person oh, that's good that's fantastic i think all of us need to take a little pause relax really let you know life kind of pass us by a little bit and not get hit up yeah. and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah varun that this brings us to the end of our podcast and it was a chase but we've got you on our podcast yes thank you sorry it was a chase is, is the only thing i would say <laughs> at the end of this thank you for being on our podcast thank you so much thank, no, thank you so, you so much, much varun thank, thank you we hope this podcast encourages you to follow your dreams listeners We will be back very soon with more chance takers till then have a good day and do like and share this podcast